Uh, we've been away this week. Uh, last, uh, we weren't here last week. Uh, I understand Nick brought six jackets along. Uh, who has six jackets? I don't know. Right. Anyway. But we were away, and uh, we were in the Hawke's Bay, beautiful place on planet Earth, and uh, saw some sun. And do you know the incredible thing? The thing I really love about traveling now is that our girls are getting a little bit older. Just a little bit older. And it's amazing how big the boot is. Because there's no high chair, there's no pram, there's no travel cot. Like, how can something so teeny as a baby take up so much of the car? It's awesome as they grow and they can sort of look after themselves a little bit more. It's awesome. Like, you don't have to take anywhere near as much stuff away with you. And uh, most of you have never even thought about having kids yet. And so you're not remotely amused by this. You're like, oh, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Anyway... But just genuinely, it's awesome. And, uh, and so, and, and, and the, the, the assumption, of course, is that kids will grow up, you know? Like, you hope that they're not going to just sort of remain as babies their whole lives. There is this assumption that having been born, a baby will grow, they will mature, they'll be able to sort of fend for themselves and do things uh, for themselves one day. And you know what? It's exactly the same in our faith. We are in Colossians 3, and we're looking at what it means to be brand new, that God in Christ Jesus has made you brand new new, not just giving you a second chance and sort of get on with it, hope for the best, but giving you new life, giving you a brand new start with a fresh opportunity to actually be able to live for, live in relationship with God. It's incredible. And, and, and Paul's assumption in writing Colossians is that you and I in that environment are going to grow up. That we're not going to remain as we were. We're not just going to remain spiritual babies, but we're actually going to grow up. We're actually going to mature. And he says in, in chapter one, I'm laboring with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me that you, that you're going to be presented before God mature. He says you you to throw off the old self and you're to put on the new self, which is being renewed, which is, that word means growing up. It's maturing in the image of its creator. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, you know, what is it that we're now putting off? What is it that's just not your style anymore? You know, one day anger suited you, but it's no longer your style. You to throw things like that off. And, and we're to clothe ourselves, we're to, we're to clothe ourselves with this new style, the style of God, the style of Christ. We're to put on compassion and kindness and all of those things. And today we sort of continue in this theme of what does it actually look like to mature, to grow, to, to be brand new, not just begin in that way, but actually continue in that way. And it's a bit more of a sort of how-to as a, as a community, a, a gathering. You know, the church is just the gathering of people who, who, who've, who've proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we gather together, what does it look like for us as a community to actually, to actually be brand new, to actually live in that way and mature? Join me. We're going to be in one verse tonight, and I'm miraculously going to turn it into 30 minutes of monologue. But anyway, six, verse 16 of chapter 3, join me, we're going to read together. Here we go. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Would you pray with me? God, we want to thank you so much for your word tonight. God, we pray that by your spirit that you'd bring it to life. Would you give us insight? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us clarity? Would you challenge us and teach us and lead us tonight? God, that we might bring you glory, that we 
might uh, bring you honor in our lives, that our whole lives might be, might, might be worshipful before you. So God, we just give you these moments in Jesus' wonderful name. Show me you're awake. Amen. Come on. It's like, oh, I've been on the beach. Come on. Amen. Come on. At least start out strong. Come on. So Paul says, if, if you're brand new, if you're this sort of community, you're to let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That word message is logos, and, and in John, we've been using that more of a noun. That in the beginning was logos. In the beginning was w- the word. It's, it's the name. It's a name for Jesus. But in this context, it has to do with what is shared about doctrine, specifically the doctrine about Jesus Christ. So it's not, it, it's not let, the, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly in terms of let Scripture dwell among you richly good as that is this is talking about let the message of christ dwell among you richly people things organizations are are distinctive they are noticeable by what dwells among them think of israel as they're journeying through the desert god has made them his people and he puts among them this pillar of fire at night and this pillar of cloud by day it was distinctive it was noticeable it was the dwelling of god among his people and the surrounding nations looked at this pillar they looked at israel they say they are different they are distinctive because their god dwells among them and paul is saying we're to be noticeable we're to be distinctive because the message of christ Christ dwells among us as a community. But we're not to do that poorly. We're not to do that meagerly. We're to do that richly. Rich is the word that the Bible uses to describe the the manner in which God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church. Richly is, is the way that God generously provides everything for our enjoyment. Richly is the way my children pour maple syrup on pancakes. You can barely notice or discern. You need a gift of discernment to know if there's pancakes underneath that syrup. They have no, they have, they have no sort of filter, no control. They just pour it out lavishly. And it's in that same way that we have to let this message of Christ ooze into every relationship, into every conversation, meeting, gathering, anything we are about in this gathering of the church. We are to let the message of Christ ooze richly among us. You know, I think this is something we do well. You know, if you attend services at the street, you'll know that we share communion to remind us of this incredible message week in, week out. We regularly share the the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we we, we let you know, you need to respond to this. You need to respond to it for yourself. It's no good just knowing about Jesus. He wants relationship with you. He has purchased relationship for you. Receive it. Enter into it. We do that week in, week out. We, we sing songs about Jesus. We've done it tonight. We've sing, sung songs of adoration. Songs that describe in some way who he is and all that he has done for us. We're, we're, we're letting that message dwell richly among our gatherings. But you know, there's also this tendency among us, I think, sometimes to go, okay, God, Jesus, I believe in you. I want to follow you. Cool. Let's, let's get on to some deeper stuff now. Now let's get on to some more meaty things. Let's find out all that, that is in Scripture. Let's, and let's live our lives wholly for him. And, and so you find some people sort of heading off on a trajectory like justice. You know, there's injustice in the world and God's about justice. So we're going to fight for, for justice. You get people, if, I mean, if, if a word describes the sort of uh, postmodern culture that we live in, it's love. You know, we, we, we're going to love one another and we're going to care and we're going to be kind and we're going to be good. We're, we're going we're to be a loving people. 
But, but, but the risk is that we sort of divorce that. I don't need God to tell me how to love. I can work out that for myself. Thank you very much. Other people want to sort of usher in peace. They're like, God, God is about peace. Let's, let's bring peace to bear on the earth. And we sort of go after these things. But if we divorce these things, from the message of Christ, they become powerless and useless. They become just something that an NGO could do. We're to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. It means if you want to know what peace is about, you have to look at the cross and understand that every social difference, every national difference, every ethnic, ethnic difference, every difference that you can imagine that has caused wars and disputes and arguments generation after generation after generation, you have to understand that every barrier that ever setted humanity was defeated and brought down at the cross. You will never bring about peace until you come to the cross and meet Jesus there. You won't understand what love is until you understand that God defines that for God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You cannot hope to understand what love is. Be a person of love until you understand that love is to, is to give yourself for an object. The, the Bible says greater love has no one than this than he gives up his life for his friends. Do you get it? Love is defined at the cross. Love is defined, finds its ultimate expression in the death of the son of God on your behalf and on my behalf. People who want to live lives for for justice and bring about justice. You have to understand that if you're really going to bring about justice by yourselves, it means that you and I deserve to be eternally punished and experience death for the wrong that we've done. I don't want to bring about that sort of justice. But when you come to the cross, you realize that there is not one injustice that has ever escaped Jesus' attention. He will judge every single one of them one day. But before that time, he, stood, he hung on a cross for, to pay the penalty for every single injustice, every single sin, every single curse, every single error, every single wrong. And he, and he received the punishment for that all in one go on himself so that God's justice could be satisfied and we might live eternally free from it. You want justice or love or peace? Let's come to the cross, the fullest expression of the character of God. You will, you'll never understand the prophets unless you understand that they all point to Jesus. You will never understand the, the, the law and its rules and regulations unless you understand Jesus and how he fulfills every single element, every single dot of an I and cross of a T if it was written in English. There is no one like him. He is beyond compare, beyond rival, beyond match, beyond equal. Metaphors fall short. Superlatives cannot truly articulate who he is. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules and reigns forever and ever in unrivaled supremacy. There is no one like Jesus and therefore there is no message like the message about Jesus. Show me your awake. Come on. Yeah. You just... Just a little, eh? Just a little, oh yeah, that's vaguely agreeable to me. Sort of feeds my soul. Come on. But you know, this is so important. So important. That we let this message about Jesus dwell among us richly. Jesus told a little parable. It's recorded in Matthew 13. It's recorded in in Mark and Luke, I think, as well. Certainly Luke. It's the parable of the sower, and it's about a farmer who goes out and sows seed, and this seed falls in in different places, and Jesus uses this uh, parable. It's more of an allegory, because we read more into it than one point. Just a little hermeneutical point for you there. Anyway, 
And the seed falls on, on different places. And Jesus says, this message is the, me- this seed is, is representative of the message of Christ. The message of the kingdom. And, and, and some of it falls a, 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 on the path and it gets quickly snatched up by the birds. It never takes root, never becomes anything. And Jesus says, that seed falling upon the path it is like, it's like people who cannot respond to the gospel because they hear the message of Christ, but they don't understand it. And he says, then there's also seed that falls among rocks and it quickly takes root and it grows, but, 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 but soon it dies because it has no root. And Jesus says, that's like people who, who hear about me and, and, and respond to me and, and quickly, you know, they grow quickly, they get excited about it, but then persecution comes because of the word and because there's no root. It dies, it's like they never believed in the first place. And then Jesus says, well, there's seed that's sown among the weeds and plants there. They take root and they grow, but they get choked by the weeds. The weeds in that allegory are like the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this life. And so these people, they don't die. They're sort of in the kingdom, but they're completely unfruitful because they're choked. They're deceived. They're distracted. And then the seed falls on good soil and it takes root and it bears fruit and, and, and all is well. And the reason I share that with you is because I want you to understand how critical it is that the message of Christ dwells among us richly. Because you might sit there and go, well, that's all right for you, Simon. You can ensure that happens and I'm all good. But I want, I want us to take responsibility for letting the message of Christ dwell among us richly. I want us to take ownership of this in our relationships and friendships and gatherings and flats. I want us to take ownership of making sure this message dwells richly. Because at any one time, this full spectrum of people is gathered in this church. In this church community, there are people who do not understand and so they can't believe and they need a church where the message of Christ dwells richly so that they have the opportunity to understand. There are people who are new believers and they're excitedly responding to the gospel, but they're experiencing persecution and they need people who, in whom the message dwells richly to come alongside and to help them put down roots. There are people who have been believers for many years and they look great from the outside, but they're being distracted by wealth and being distracted by worries of this life. And they need the church that shares the message of Christ. They need a church where the message dwells richly so they're not distracted, so they understand that there's no wealth, no riches, no achievement on this earth that could ever compare to what they have already received in Jesus Christ so that they might become fruitful. And there's people who are fruitful. There are people, that, the, the good soil sort of people, that just need continually encouraging and pursuing so they don't get distracted like those among the weeds. I want to be that church to you. I want to be a church where, the, where, where every single person has the opportunity to grow and to put down roots and to bear fruit. We must be a church where the message of Christ dwells richly because people's eternal destinies, people's fruitfulness, people's experience of life depends on whether we capture this. Paul moves on. And he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Why? As you teach and admonish. As you teach and admonish. Teaching has to do with communicating what we need to hear and learn and remember about what it is we believe. It goes right from you teaching yourself to, to teaching large numbers of people all at once. And, and admonishing is like correcting a wrong belief, but it's not like going, you're wrong, you know, <laughs> you idiot. It's, it's, it's actually saying, here's a better way. 
No life, no truth. Leave that and come this way. It's this rich exhorting. We don't use that word anymore, but the Bible uses that and it's awesome. Exhorting, this rich, this deep, encouraging. But Paul understands that this is already going on. He doesn't say teach and admonish. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. In other words, do not teach, do not admonish, do not counsel, do not encourage, do not walk alongside people and and divorce that from this incredible message that we've been given. As you're doing all of those things, let the message of Christ in those relationships and in those conversations dwell richly. The reason is because I think teaching can so easily become legalism. You know, we can be encouraged and challenged to follow Jesus and we go, okay, I'm going to attend church more and I'm going to attend life group more and I'm going to start serving and I'm going to be more generous and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to do all these things and I'm going to read my Bible for like 15 minutes a day and I might get better and I'm going to begin praying and I'm going to pray three times a day and I'm going to put reminders on my phone to make sure I get there. And, and, And very quickly, you know, we miss some of those rules. We miss some of those things that we've put in place to try and help us and, and, and we come to a place of worship and suddenly we feel inadequate. Suddenly we feel like we've fought and short because we haven't measured up to the standard that we set for our faith. And so if, if legalism is, is one of the dangers that we could head down because of teaching the message of Christ in that context, said there is nothing you could ever do, no rule you could ever fulfill that could ever ever satisfy God, ever make you right before God. The only way that happens is to believe in the one by faith who has who has fulfilled every rule, fulfilled every obligation, lived perfectly on your behalf, such that when you believe that righteousness is credited to you. The message of Christ frees us from legalism. But I want you to see that it also frees us from the opposite end of the spectrum, which is liberalism. You know, oh, it I'm forgiven. I was forgiven once and I'll be forgiven for whatever I do. It doesn't matter how I live. The message of Christ says, no, sin has a consequence. Yes, you're forgiven, but do not, do not pretend like sin no longer has consequence. Adultery will still wreck marriages. Anger will still destroy relationships. Lying will still uh, de- deceive people and dishonor God and wreck relationships. Do you see sin still has, con- you can be forgiven, but it still wrecks relationship. It will still prevent you from experiencing life. And one of the ways we see the price of sin is we look at Jesus on the cross. And we see the price of sin when an, the innocent son of God is brutally murdered on our behalf. So we're to flee that. And we're to reject liberalism or to allow the message of Christ to dwell among us richly and enable us to navigate, not legalism or liberalism, but through the middle of this abundant life that God has enabled us to live. But there's something I want you to see tonight. And that is that Paul moves on now to talk about songs. Let the message of Christ among you richly, we've got that, as you teach and admonish. But notice this, there's another conjunction. It says, through... Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That word gratitude is grace. Uh, grace is the means by which God does everything in your life from beginning to end. But in there, that same word is used because it's a response. As recipients of grace, we turn around and we adore Jesus. We say, thank you so much for your grace. 
But Paul doesn't, isn't necessarily talking about it in that way because he's saying, I want you to teach and admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul seems to suggest that songs here, psalms here, songs from the Spirit here, hymns here, have a role not only in letting the message of Christ dwell among us richly, but also in teaching and admonishing. You know, songs, music are incredibly important to God. Check out this verse in, in Zephaniah 3, 17. You're like, Zephaniah? Yeah, we're going there very quickly. The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You know, so often we look at our own response to being, to knowing Jesus and being forgiven and being brought into relationship with God and we're like, we're the ones who sing songs of praise. But you know what? When God looks at what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf in reconciling humanity to himself, the way God expresses his joy over that is he sings about it. How incredible is that? Do you know the Bible also said God's whistles? God whistles? Like, I just, I just think it's awesome that we have a God who sings and whistles. And just about every time the curtains of heaven are sort of pulled apart and we get a glimpse. You know what we see? Music. We see songs, whether it be the trumpet call of God or whether it be angels, like a host of angels, a choir of angels descending and, and celebrating and announcing the birth of Jesus or, 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 or even the church at the end in heaven that surrounds the throne and worships the Lamb. They sing a new song. The entire expression of the church from every tribe and language and people and nation sings a song. Songs are synonymous with this response of, uh, of being saved. This response to the message of Jesus. But the link here seems to suggest that, 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 that songs and hymns and, uh, sorry, hymns and psalms and songs and songs and the spirit and all of those general musical things with words have a role in teaching and admonishing. Think about it in this way, right? If you want to teach an infant 26 letters in order, pronounced correctly with not one missing, how do you do it? A, B, C, D, E. It's a belter, like YouTube, if you don't know it. Right? <laughs> but you know, you use a song. Because the melody means that you can't miss things out. And if you want to learn a really complicated language, studies show that actually if you put melody alongside sentences, it enables people to, to, to remember them much more easily because there's a melody, there's, 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 there's notes, there's, there's moments that trigger memory. Music seems to access the brain in some way and enable people to remember. And the thing I love is that sort of studies are sort of showing how the brain works now and we're understanding more and more about the brain. And yet when Egypt thought that the brain was was nothing and everything revolved around the heart, God knew everything that studies are now showing about the brain. Check this out in Deuteronomy 31. God says this, teach them this song because when Israel rejects me, their descendants will remember this song and it will testify against them. God had reconciled, God had brought Israel into relationship with himself, but he knew they'd reject him. They knew they'd go their own way. He, they knew they would, he knew they would forget him. So he says, teach them a song, Moses. 
Go teach them a song about me. Go teach them a song about what I'm like. Go teach them a song about all that I've done for them so that when they've forgotten me, when they've rejected me, when they've walked away from me, this song will testify against them. Why? Because when their lives looked entirely different, they still remembered the song. They still remembered the doctrine. They still remembered truth because God had commanded Moses to teach it to them in a song. New Testament scholars now seem to suggest that that there are songs hidden away in the New Testament. When you go to Colossians 1 and we get these incredible verses from verse 15 where it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and it goes on. This is This is a song about the identity of Jesus in the early church in order to understand... Uh, about God in order to understand the identity of Jesus to not only learn it but remember it they sang these things in a song you go back into Philippians 2 when it says therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father that was a song They they learn truth, they retain truth, they remember truth about God because they sang about it. Paul put it in his letters. Imagine the early church. This is new information for them. They didn't have Bibles in their homes, but they sang songs so that they could remember incredible truth, incredible doctrine about the message of Jesus. You know, music's powerful. Songs are powerful. You know, I, I, I was interested in this verse this week, and so I did some reading around, around studies about memory and, and, and the brain and, and, and about music. And, and as I understand it, music is one of those things that activates large parts of the brain. And so because there's sound, it activates the auditory parts of your brain. Because there is rhythm, it activates motor parts of your brain to do with movement. It also accesses, activates the limbic part, the emotion, where emotions are sort of gathered up in the brain. You know, it's why companies write jingles, like horrible jingles. Like my children can tell you the tagline for like Briscoes and the Warehouse and Rebel Sports and all of those things. Why? Because there are horrible jingles about them. And so they know it. They know that they know about those companies. Why? Because that's the brain is wired to learn and to capture and to remember information through song. You know, it's why if you can't remember the details of some random summer, you can't remember where you were, who you were with, and stuff like that. But then you hear a song from that summer. And suddenly you not only remember certain things about it or who you were with, but suddenly you feel it. Suddenly the emotions that you felt that summer, suddenly it all comes back to you. Why? Because music has this way of not just act, it, sort of bypassing explicit memory and sort of going into the sort of implicit side. It's why, it's why uh, dementia and, and traumatic brain injuries apparently are, are treated or they use music in the treatment of that. Because people who can't remember names and dates and places and sort of explicit memory, sort of details. Music seems to get in there. And take people back to where they were when they heard those songs. Songs are powerful in terms of our brain. God, songs are powerful in terms of memory. And so what science shows and what the Bible shows is that music needs to be incredibly powerful, incredibly important for us as a church community if we're to teach and admonish one another in letting the message of Christ dwell among us richly. You know, I think it also means that the words we sing are really important. 
It means some of you need to take really seriously the music you listen to. You know, some of you sort of, maybe there's worship music on a Sunday, but then in the week you're listening to all sorts of lyrics. Be very careful about what that is doing inside you, what you are feeding your soul, what you are feeding your brain. But it also means that the words that we sing are potentially far more important than than the words that we preach, which at this point I sort of invite a guitarist up and I sort of quietly slink away. But you think about it, if I said to you, like, tell me some things that I taught last year, you'll remember it, and it was hopefully powerful and transformational for you at the time, but you don't really so easily remember those things right now. But if I was to say to you, if, if we were to start talking about songs that the churches sang in the th- 2000s and, and songs that were sung earlier, you know, Jamie and I sometimes love to get together in the life center kitchen at work and, and we'll just start busting out songs from the 80s and 90s, just rolling back the years and singing these incredible songs that everyone's forgotten until suddenly you sing them. And then, and the thing is, you don't just remember one line, do you? You don't just remember sort of one verse. You can remember the whole thing. Because music is incredibly powerful. And so if we're to be a people who not only learn the, thing, the important things about the message of Christ, but remember them, we're to be a people that sing about them. You know, I also think it's really important in terms of evangelism. Because music has this way of disarming. It has this way of breaking through where words don't always do so by themselves. I was at an end-of-year assembly for one of my, for my girls recently. There were 200 kids at Kaharangi School doing kapahaka. It was incredible. And it br- brought emotion out of me. It brought tears from me. And I thought, it's probably just me. I'm a bit soft. But then, I look around and there's these hardened Kiwi dads that I know from the school playground. And they're like, oh, oh that, that got me. How much more when the church sings about... Jesus. And you know, there is a dangerous phrase, there's a dangerous sort of attitude that I see going around, and that is sort of dispensing with anything that is superfluous. You know, it's sort of an attitude that can go around New Zealand a bit. And I see it in church, particularly around music, because people are like, oh, I don't really sing in any other part of my life. It's just weird. It's just some sort of some random karaoke thing. If I can turn up to church 15 minutes late, I will. I'll be honest. And I'd rather they didn't sing, and I certainly don't invite my friends, because if I think singing's weird in church, then, then my friends certainly will. But it makes me wonder if singing, if music is sort of disarming and gets in in a way that normal barriers don't reject, then maybe, just maybe, if you've been sharing Jesus with people and they just won't respond, maybe rather than not inviting them because singing's weird, maybe you should invite them to church. Because maybe songs will get through where words up until this point have not. I think songs of Jesus are so important in terms of evangelism. But finally, if we're to be brand new, if we're to live in this way and keep the message of Christ dwelling among us richly, I think we ourselves, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, you need to sing songs about Jesus all the more for your own soul, for your own sake. You know, because music seems to get under the skin. Music stirs emotion in a way that just words alone don't always do. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about 
experiencing something, feeling a certain way and not really worrying about the vehicle that gets you there. I'm talking about when we understand the message of Christ in all of its richness, in all of its majesty, in all of its power, it should stir the emotion. It should, it should stir something up within you. It shouldn't just fill the mind, it should feed the soul and should exercise the emotions. You know, like I said, music seems to transport us back in time sometimes where we not only remember things, but we feel how we felt at that moment. And so sometimes songs for me take me back to significant moments in my walk with Jesus. You know, I can remember in my teens, sort of just my life did not stack up against what a Christian should look like, certainly at school. And yet I'd go to church on a, on a Sunday evening after rugby games and stand there and I knew the songs, but I'd come to moments in those songs like King of Kings, Majesty, when it says in royal robes, I don't deserve and I couldn't sing those words. Music got through in a way that people's words didn't. And as I say those words now, I can feel the emotion rising up in me. Why? Because I remember what it was like. The song takes me back there. It reminds me of who I was. It reminds me of where my life was. And it makes me so much grateful, not then, but now of all that Jesus has done in my life. Do you see how song is so important in keeping the message of Christ dwelling richly in my own life? And so if we're to be a people who worship God with all that we are, mind, body, soul and spirit, I believe music and song has such an important role to play in that. Because if music not only fills my mind, if music not only exercises the body, but actually activates emotion, then it's one of those profound moments where I get to bring all that I am and gather it up in one expression of worship and praise of my saviour and keeps it fresh I believe if we're to be brand new we have to be if we're to let this message dwell among us richly if we're to teach one another and admonish one another then songs of Jesus songs of the message of Christ must also dwell among us richly and so I can think of no more fitting way of right now responding to this message and for us to stand and let us worship. And do you know what? Some of you aren't singers, right? Some of you come and you probably just listen a bit. I want to encourage you. The Bible says open your mouth and it'll fill it with praise. You know, while I, I can pad a little bit because they're just getting up and getting ready. You know, music silences the foe and the praise silences the foe and the avenger. Psalm 8 says that. You can check it out. The songs of, the songs of children. The praises of children silence the foe and the avenger. Two, two chronicles that Jehoshaphat sent the singers and the musicians out in front of the army. You need breakthrough in your life tonight? Sing a song of praise. You need the enemy silenced in your life? You need nightmares gone? Sing a song of praise. You're unemployed, you need a job, you're finishing uni and you, you have no idea how you're going to begin to pay bills? Sing a song of praise. I think God's going to break through tonight. I think he's going to destroy some of the work of the enemy in lives tonight. I think, I think some of you, it comes to me again, I think some of you are going to go home and never have a nightmare again. Though it's plagued you up until this point, because tonight you're going to sing a song of praise. Because you do not understand the power and the depth of what you're doing as you worship. And as you sing a song of praise. Can we do that together right now? Come on.